Hello and welcome to the No Notions podcast. Please leave your notions at the door and come on in. Today we're jumping into the world of Formula One. My guest is Patrick Harding, performance coach to Formula One driver Alex Albon. Patrick has worked with Alex across three different teams in his career and travels the world with him during the Formula One season, making sure he's in optimal condition to perform in each race. We talk about the intensity of his relationship with Alex. I spend more time with Alex than I do my wife. The madness of Formula One. 20 drivers in the world making any one one season. What it costs to put these cars on track. And of course, the Netflix smash hit Drive to Survive. It's the EastEnders of sport. The popularity has just gone absolutely insane. They're like pop stars as opposed to drivers. So strap yourself in as we lift the lid on life inside Formula One. What is a performance coach and how do you define what you do? I mean, look, if I'm being facetious, I'll say I'm an old pair for an adult. Um, but, but in reality, it's, you know, first and foremost, managing his physical health alongside that, that he's mentally ready in terms of focused, present, ready to perform under a lot of pressure and in a lot of scrutiny, um, being a mate. You know, being somebody that he can be really honest with um, in his most challenging moments. An au pair for an adult. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, there's there's times when I'm at track and I'm folding his laundry and I'm thinking, I've got eight, nine years of university under my belt. <laughs> and here I'm, you know, putting sweaty laundry in a bag and making sure that he's had his dinner and making sure that he's drinking water and making sure that, he knows what time he has to set his alarm for tomorrow morning. You know, like it, in some ways, that is actually the level of the role at times. So, so the spectrum of input goes from the really mundane to the, to actually the really key moments in his development, either in his sport or outside of his sport, because that's fundamentally why I'm here is to help Alex grow as an individual. He just happens to be really, really good at driving a car around in circles. What I take from that is how intense that relationship um, may get at times. Like, does it ever get too much or how do you navigate the intensity of, of that relationship? You know, I spend more time with Alex than I do my wife. You know, I've seen more of Alex in the last five years than I've seen of my parents in the last 15 years. And, you know, to be able to deal with that level of intensity you need to have strategies to be able to uh, understand what you need from that space to be able, like you said, turn up and be effective for him in that environment. It's it's never got too much. It, it's got it's got pretty heavy. Um, at times, you know, that second year at Red Bull when he was really trying to get the grips with a really difficult car. Um, you know, he'd been promoted to Red Bull twelve races into his rookie career, which was one of the quickest promotions to a top team in F1. Um, and there was moments through that year where it was massively intense in terms of the environment, the expectation around Alex, but also then trying to shield him from that. And actually us having those conversations, which is like, what are we dealing with right now? Where are you at? You know, we've had, you know, you know, moments where I've just gone, you know, are you okay? And as simple as that, 
they'll block out everything that's going on around us, the circus that we're in. Just tell me, are you, are you okay? Where are you at right now? One of the biggest parts of why our relationship has been so successful is that our core values are the same. So how we want to represent ourselves either in or out of the F1 environment are very, very similar. Do you ever fight? We, we've never, we've never fought. There, there's moments where it's like maybe the access that I've tried to get in terms of some questions that I'm asking, it's clear it's not the right time and I've left that. And, and, and intuitively over time, that happens less and less because you just know when is the right time and when it's not the right time. So I wouldn't say we've ever had an argument. We've had discussions for sure where there's had to be a really clear level of honesty and that's not being comfortable. And one of the things I say to Alex and I've said it to him from the start is, you know, if we're going to work together, be comfortable being uncomfortable because the, the biggest growth and the truest understanding of yourself and your own awareness of yourself comes from those really uncomfortable moments. So when we're in those, be ready for me to come at you at those moments. But we come with, and when we talk about value and skill set, or sorry, value set, is that I'm coming with honesty and truthfulness and a desire to help and support you to grow as an individual. Your entire role is based around the performance of another individual everything you do is to is to be there for Alex so that Alex shows up on race day in the best possible way he can right how do you handle your own personal life you know who's there for you with a relationship that's as intense as as you've just described that's a two-way street that's a marriage yeah everything that 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 is conducive to a strong relationship is a two-way street but for yours it's a one-way street possibly from what i can see no 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 you're right it is a two-way street you know i've gone through some really difficult stuff over the last few years on a personal level and i've been really honest with him about that and he's seen me in moments where not often but moments where i'm having a little bit of a wobble and one, you know, I can be like that in front of him because I do consider him, you know, a really close friend. Two, I also think it's really important for him to see that in other individuals, especially someone who's there to coach him to grow as an individual. And I'm asking him and I'm saying to him, look, be, co- be comfortable being uncomfortable because I'm going to, when you're having a really crap time, I'm going to be there trying to dig through that and, and find those little nuggets of growth. So what would that look like to him if in those moments where I was in that really uncomfortable place that I wasn't willing to be honest and truthful with him? I can imagine it's a very particular personality type that could do what you do. You know, you don't necessarily need to be the guy everyone's queuing for autographs for, in the, the guy in the car under that pressure. But what I presume you get your fulfillment from is the process of, what you see in Alex, right? I have absolutely no interest in the environment, the cameras, the media, the exposure. And I, and I, you know, every coach is different and you'll see that on a spectrum across the coaches in the paddock. 
And if you said to me, what are the proudest moments of the last five years of working with Alex? And there are three conversations that we've had that he's initiated at different times, asking really insightful questions about performance, about how he's responded to something that's happened, how he would like to do that better the next time, reflections on other experiences. Three really specific conversations. Not obviously very proud of him when he got podiums and he moved to Red Bull and he's, you know, some of his performances last year at Williams were absolutely incredible. But but that's not what in twenty years that's not what I'll look back on. And and I can you know, I can see those conversations running in my head so vividly because that that for me, you know, I'm obviously we're having the conversation and in my head going, That's this is why I'm here. These moments of real honesty from him in terms of himself and his his past and how he wants to represent himself in the future. That's just that's why I'm there really. Formula One is um you know, in in aspects obviously some of the most highly invested machinery that you'll ever come across in, in sport and, and, you know, 20 people in the world who gets to drive them in any one season. And so, so from a execution level of sports performance, it, it's at the top, right? It's at the top. But, you know, for me, it's, it is all about the relationship. And, and honestly, when or if that relationship, when Alex finishes in Formula One, then that's me finished with Formula One. And, and actually, I, I honestly, it's stuff I've worked with with my coach, I actually struggle a lot with the environment in terms of where I've come from and how juxtaposed that is to, you know, what's happening in the, the world right now. And, and then, you know, we have this circus running around the world, you know, putting cars on track, um, it 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 it, often, it it takes a lot to get your head around, and I know I know if you look at Premier League football or you know American football or NBA or NHL, you know, gross spending is probably pretty similar, right? But it it seems different because it's so so condensed. You're right. Like it is this unique scenario where this traveling circus for nine months of the year goes around the world with these with like millions of dollars worth of hardware and people and the things that go into making that happen it actually blows my mind the scale of of that blows my mind it's it's part of the spectacle for me of of why i'm i i enjoy formula one is because i'm so aware of 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 how ridiculous (laughs) all of all of it is right um but i think what i'd like love to see um, is what it's like to be a part of that traveling circus because you are a part of it. You get a front row seat to the whole thing. You have the best seat in the house. What is that like? Honestly, 90, 98% of the time, my mind is just going, right, What what's next? What's next? Have we done A, B and C? Okay, FP1's in two hours. That means this, this, this needs to be in the garage. Alex needs to have this next for food okay let's check his hydration like get that on board right what's next okay we're an hour to go what's next on the list okay we're half an hour to go start a warm-up 
bump cars on track how's how's the session going speak with his engineers afterwards db so you're 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 so involved in the schedule and the delivery of what you're supposed to be doing that for a lot of the time you're not even thinking about it and and you do become a little bit blah not blase is the wrong word but but for me like that's that's just my it's my office like so when and it, sometimes it's really nice to meet people who are really into formula one because mm. when you see the energy and the enthusiasm for them if they hear what you do or they recognize you then you're like oh okay okay like, like I, I get it but there's moments where no i think one of the first ones for me was before covid uh they changed it during covid but before covid uh, there was a certain amount of people who could stay on the grid as the cars pulled away for the formation lap um and the coaches were one and I remember being in Monaco for the Grand Prix, first Grand Prix, his first F1 Grand Prix in Monaco. And, you know, he's in the car, cars are fired up, boys come out with the flags. But Monaco's so tight, you're you're standing like, and I remember one of the engineers saying, like, get your heels back to the wall, there's not a lot of room. So literally heels to the barrier. And Alex had qualified pretty well, I think he was 11th. And just these cars just boom, boom, boom by you. And like feeling the engines pass and just being like, wow, that was pretty cool. Um, and the other side that gets me sometimes, and, and Austin is one where, you know, out on the grid before the race and you just look up and it's a massive hill up to turn one and then it sweeps left. And it's just like a wall of people all the way up all up the grid start right up to turn one and then around turn one it's just like 10 10 15 000 people maybe more and it's just like wow like that that that's they're the moments that sometimes hit me um and that's when you tune into that which is okay well it's pretty cool actually um are these experiences these moments are really cool but but honestly, the job is so intense and so much relies on having him ready to be in the car, both physically and mentally, that you're either working through that schedule or or needing to have those conversations or filling gaps with conversations or thinking about what needs to be done next or, or responding to what's after happening in a, in a session to be able to get him ready for the next session. Um, that you're, you're very often not thinking about that and actually you know the boys in the garage is really important for me to be able to, to to develop those relationships because you're the link between alex and the garage in terms of you know those boys love what they do like boys and girls they absolutely like they love it and and the, the hours they put in you think like we think we work hard the people in the garage the mechanics the truckies the hours they put in you know we had testing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, there's a day shift and a night shift. So we get a, a day shift, run the car during the day, and then we get a night shift coming at eight o'clock and strip the cars and rebuild them for the next morning. If that's a race weekend, then the pressure is even more. Testing, okay, we lose some track time, which is pretty, pretty valuable, but it's not going to affect your standing at the end of the year directly. But if you, you know, if there's a big smash in quality or, you know, FP2 and it's going to affect your quality the next day or, you've had issues and it's going to quite affect the race, then your race weekend could be done. And, and you know, those, like I said, those guys and girls will work all night if, if they need to, to get the car turned around. Um, that's pretty special. And, and, 
you know, when you are it, and and th that's kind of the funny thing. You know, they're the same. They're not. They're not tied up in the environment. They're tied up in their job. So you go into the garage, and it, and it's kind of like a group of like-minded people. Um, so you, it's easy to forget where you are because everybody's just trying to get their job done, um, and do it to the best of their ability because that's what the environment demands, and and. You know, it might sound harsh, but we're P10 championship and that's what we do, you know. And at Red Bull, you know, there was, it, it was just a machine, like machine in terms of delivery on what you were supposed to be delivering on. Something that's interested me with elite athletes in particular is that from a very young age, they are brought up to in an environment where they need to eliminate as many things that take their concentration away from their craft can alex do his taxes like can he go do a grocery shop can he do his laundry like it's part of growing up is, is doing these things going to tax your car going to even buy your first car like those you know maybe getting drunk for the first time and and doing something silly you know all those things are part of growing up and when you're an elite a elite athlete you don't get room to experience life in that way what does that mean for alex like can he do those normal day-to-day -day things he's always been somebody who's been really well grounded in what day-to-day -day activities look like so you know he might not be the best cook but he'll want to cook so if i go to monaco and we're training for a couple of days you know, I'll pop to the supermarket, get some grocery shopping, and then he'll cook dinner. And, you know, we'll get up in the morning, he'll cook breakfast. So he's a very well-grounded guy. And I think part of that is because, you know, some Formula One drivers have come from extreme levels of wealth. Um, and that might be very different for them. But Alex hasn't. He's come from, you know, a normal family in Milton Keynes. The more we do for people, the less responsibility they'll take. So when he says, oh, I want to cook dinner tonight, I'm not going, I'm not going, oh, this guy's rubbish cook. I'll cook that, you know, standing. I'm like, okay, yeah, go for it. <laughs> it might not be the best dinner I've ever had, but at least he's taken ownership over that and he's done that. It's the ones who have actively been thinking about what they want to do post-sport and have already worked towards what that transition looks like will be the ones that will cope the best. Um, and I've seen some who have coped really, really well and have transitioned to normal life really well. And then I've seen people who really haven't transitioned well at all. And, and the results of that have been really destructive um, in terms of their life and the relationships that they have. I, I, the way I see it is almost like a rug being pulled from you. This entire um, foundation that's been set around you, you included. You're his performance coach to get him through a season um, in as best a shape as you can. And if he got fired tomorrow, that entire structure is gone. The big, and I think is probably the key component of it is, is can he separate himself out from Alex Albon, the individual who was just Alex and, and the identity of the guy who's a Formula One driver. Because if you're too entwined with that identity, when that identity is taken away from you, that's when it's all going to fall apart because you, you've no real true understanding of who you are as an individual. What I've seen, the biggest growth in Alex over the last five years is that exactly that separation from 
Alex getting a really good understanding of I'm Alex Albon, um, just a really good brother, really good son, good boyfriend, good friend, got a great sense of humour. He's really starting to find his own, you know, like like just how he wants to look and really confident of dyeing his hair. Yeah, his, his identity, which is him, and, you know, dyes his hair, doesn't care. It's red one day, it's blonde the next day. Like, to, to have the strength to be able to turn up in that environment and not care what other people think about all of that external stuff, because he knows that doesn't matter. None of that stuff is real. And, and don't mistake that for me saying that he cares any less. If anything, he now has a really true understanding of how much that means to him. Because it has been threatened to be taken away and he's had to sit on the sidelines for a year and deal with that. And that's been a really good growth period for him. But now that he has it back, he's got a really good understanding of what he wants to get from it. He still would cut his arm off to be in Formula 1. But if it disappeared tomorrow, I think he would be okay. What is the build-up to a race day like? Um, what's it like being a part of that process um is alex nervous it's only really when he puts his helmet on then it's kind of he gets a little bit progressively quieter up to that point but i allow him to do that you don't need to interrupt that the one time there, there is times when i need to intervene inter, intervene sometimes on the grid um when he start when i can see him going a little bit internal and becoming too conscious so i know i can see by his eyes and his face He's running through really conscious procedures in his head, so star procedures or stuff that he might need to do in the race. And I need to break that because now he's not present anymore. He's not here with me anymore. He's away somewhere else. So I'll go in and I'll break that generally with just some rubbish conversation about something absolutely stupid. I've had engineers come up to us after races and go, what the hell were you guys talking about on the grid? And I'm like, and you explain it to the engineers and they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But they're like, at the time one, we're three minutes from getting into the car and we're talking about, like, I can't even repeat some of the stuff. So so breaking that. And, and, and then once he's in the car, he's in the car. And then it's down to him. And, and that's where Alex, the driver, comes in and... You know, I never worry about when he's in the car. Once we've got to that point and I'm and I'm comfortable with the preparation, and I I know he'll deliver exactly what he's capable of. You've worked with Alex um, across three teams now, right? Uh, Williams, uh, Red Bull, and it was Toro Rosso at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've worked across three teams. Um, how different is it working as part of? each of those three teams because all three teams are in very different stages of of the grid like in terms of what they're racing for what's a good result what's a bad result budgets are very different also um how different was it for you being a part of all three of those those teams when we moved to red bull from toro also one of our mantras was same procedure different uniform we we, we had a system that worked for us and we templated that across. There's absolutely differences about the environment themselves. You know, Toro Rosso, they're predominantly Italian, um, like quite a family feel about the team, a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, 
a lot of chaos sometimes, but like lovable guys, you know, really loved what they did, passionate about Alex, passionate about racing. Um, a really good place for Alex to start, actually, like incredibly good place, really nurturing. And under it, because, you know, the connection with Red Bull about being a junior team is they understood what it was to take in rookies and to support them and mentor them to be ready to move to a, the, the senior team. So so there was already a process in place by which Alex stepping into, they understood what it was like to have rookies and they supported him really, really well in that environment. Moved to Red Bull and there was a, a big shift in atmosphere in terms of you're at the senior team now, you're, you're not a rookie anymore. And even though there were they were good and it took into the context you know uh how few races he'd had in formula one you know the window for growth and the margin for growth is a lot narrower and it was more quickly uh okay you know where are the performances where are the results this is the expectation of being at a senior team and there was the, the everybody there like really got along with incredibly well and and they supported alex incredibly well garage engineers team and they, they held alex in very very high esteem there's a clinical nature about a team at that level there is a little bit of it borders on toxicity in terms of the expectation of work and delivery of work but that's exactly what those environments need and and actually that that environment itself polices itself. So so the expectation of the level of work that you produce and what it requires to be at that level, if you're not delivering on that level, it all it weeds those people out just by the nature of the environment that it is. You know, Red Bull will come third in a race and it will be, why are we not first? By the next race weekend, we're going to have a solution to this. And by the next race weekend, you would or at least they would have a really good understanding of why they were third. It was relentless and I loved it. It was, it was exactly what high performance should look like. It was, it was phenomenal. The best people with a level of commitment to being the best that I've rarely seen across sport. Like they're at the top of what I've seen and experienced. So incredible environment, but, you know, unforgiving as well. That That's just the nature of it, right? <laughs> you know, Ricky Bobby, if not first, you're last. And that was kind of the attitude there. Like, why aren't we not winning championships? I've never heard toxicity um, referred to in almost a positive way in the sense like, even the way you said that, you like, it just oozes, it oozes from you how much you loved that period you know like being at that level of performance but yet it's interesting because you touched on the fact that there is a toxic toxicity to it um and i don't think i've ever seen toxicity uh used in almost a weirdly positive you know i don't think i've ever heard someone recount a period of time that was particularly toxic as a positive time um, in their career and in their life you know so the attitude there is you leave work when the job is done. And that could be four o'clock in the afternoon. It could be seven o'clock in the evening. It could be 1 a.m. 
but we leave when the job is done. Now, that could mean you're doing 60, 70 hours a week for a period while there's an issue being solved. But there's nobody going to HR saying, oh, I worked 14 hours yesterday and I've had to work 12 hours today. Now, looking at that from the outside, you might say, oh, that's a toxic environment to work in. But the people who are carrying that out do it because they want to win. They know that that is the only way that they can get ahead of a team like Mercedes at the time who had a massive jump on Red Bull. But also they know that, okay, when the period comes that things aren't so hectic, we'll get that time back. And our reward will be at the end of the season when we're P1 in the championship. So somebody from the outside might see that as toxic, but and it, and it is a little bit right. And it is in terms of what people around you expect from you. But actually, if you have the belief in your own environment and, and you're given the right skill set and you're supported in the right way, why shouldn't be that what why shouldn't that be what we expect from you in that environment? And this is the one thing that I struggle with at times. You know, we're we we've had a conversation already about the eliteness of this environment that I'm in. Twenty drivers in the world make it in any one one season. What it costs to put these cars on track. Hundreds of millions of pounds, euros. Why do we accept anything but optimal performance you know i might travel 250 260 days a year i'm not doing that to be p10 in the championship i'm not giving up that really valuable time with people that i love and missing all these birthdays and anniversaries and christenings and weddings to sit at the back and be happy about that that's not my nature so Unless you have a little bit of that, then you're never going to develop. Some of the most successful people, I've ever, I'm talking Olympic champions, world champions, people who win major events in their sport. There's always, there's always something a little bit different in there. Something that gives them that little bit of edge. And I think with Red Bull, when I say toxicity, probably mean like a rootlessness, like an edge, just an edge about the environment. And, and what we've got at Williams now is a team who had that clearly, but had it quite a while ago, won drivers' championships, won constructors' championships, and they kind of lost their way along that path somewhere and find themselves rebuilding that in a huge transition, trying to get back there, trying to find that edge, trying to create that culture, trying to bring in the right people to drive that culture forward, starting with Alex new team principal this year who's you know Toto's number two at Mercedes for the last however many years they're they're trying to recreate that but that takes time that's you know culture is just an accumulation of the behaviors of each individual that's what culture is so until every single individual in that organization is behaving at a level that is required to win a championship we won't win a championship and that takes time for people to understand that and to realize that and and to change the environment in the way that you need to change it. Everybody talks about the neck um, when it comes to getting a driver ready for, for a race. Um, is that the most important aspect of, of race uh, sort of preparation? And what 
do they mean? Like, what does it look like if somebody's neck just goes, for lack of a better description? If you take four corners at Silverstone through Maggots and Beckett's, four high-speed corners between 3 and 5G, one sequence through that corner, those four corners is about 140 kilos through the neck. Alex might do 120, 130 laps per race weekend. So from a strength capacity in terms of being able to withstand those high Gs, and also from a sub-maximal strength perspective, to be able to have the endurance capacity to do that hundreds of times across a race weekend is huge. So when I'm testing Alex's neck in pre-season, we do brake tests. So like, what's the maximum that you can hold or withstand through your neck? And both sides was about 78 kilos. And from an extension point of view, it was 82 kilos. So, you know, Alex can hold an extension in his neck more than some people can squat, bench press, etc. When that goes wrong, you'll see the neck. Anytime they go through a long sweeping high-speed corner, you'll see the neck wobble or they'll rest the head on the on the side panel and then you know that, yeah, the neck is struggling a little bit. Yeah. Uh, lastly, um, because I'll let you go off this because you've been so um, generous with, with your time, so I really appreciate it. Um, Drive to Survive, how has it changed Formula One? Look, it's the it's the EastEnders of sport, right? It's um, it, the popularity has just gone absolutely insane. So when we started in Formula One, the fans were petrol heads, engineering nerds, people who were connected to the teams. So that you had Ferrari fans, you had Red Bull fans, you had, you know, McLaren fans. They weren't necessarily following the drivers because they stuck with the team. If a driver moved, they were still a follower of the team, right? What Netflix has done now, and it's given obviously people an insight into the background behind some of these drivers and where they've come from. And and that's what we love about sport, right? Having an emotional connection with someone within sport, even though we don't know them. And I think that's what it's brought to this new, uh, this new group of fans who aren't necessarily interested in the technical side. They're, they don't care about wing angles and aero philosophies but they care about the individuals and they're invested in the individuals. So it's this weird shift to now where they're like pop stars as opposed to drivers. You know, we were in LA in January for a training camp and for every 10 people that came up to Alex, eight of them said, oh, you're that guy from that show. And he's like, well, I'm a Formula One driver. I just happened to be on Drive to Survive. But, but that's how this new fans these new fans see them it's more like reality tv stars as opposed to formula one drivers and and fans are following the drivers now so you've got like lando fans george fans alex fans charles fans they're not ferrari no there's a group of people who now aren't ferrari they're ferrari fans because charles drives there but if charles moves they'll move with charles so it's changed it like that and also like i said the intensity of it and they're desire to know more about the drivers and their girlfriends and their families and the people around them it's less now for those fans about the sport but but more about the individuals um and obviously look for for formula one it's brought in a huge fan i think they've said the viewing figures in the u.s are up 40 percent based on drive to survive alone we got three races in the u.s this year um so from a commercial and marketing and branding point of view, obviously it's 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 mega. That brings opportunities for the drivers, but also it brings a new element of an extra invasion in their privacy that they weren't used to before. 
And and that's certainly something that Alex has had to get used to. Paddy, thanks so much for your time. And best of luck. Best of luck to, to you and, and Alex and the team uh, this year. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching on um, supporting Alex for sure now with this new vested interest in, in, in you guys. Um, yeah, so, so thanks so much. Really appreciate it. So that's it. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks very much to my guest, Patrick, who was so generous with his time in what was a very busy part of the season. You can find me on Insta, at gman underscore. Please come say hello. The video content you may have seen on social was filmed by at Films. That's all for this episode. I'll see you in the next one.